Hello and welcome to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Thank you for joining us for another segment. You know, September is Desmoid Tumor Awareness Month, and given that nearly 30 to 40% of desmoid tumors are initially misdiagnosed, it's important to raise awareness among both the patient and the provider communities to better support those who may be living with these rare, devastating tumors. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. James Cassidy. He's joining us here as Chief Medical Officer at Springworks Therapeutics. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. Well, as uh, Chief Medical Officer there at Springworks, give us a bit of your professional background and talk about your role at uh, Springworks. Yeah, so I'm a trained medical oncologist, was a physician scientist, trained in the United Kingdom, and was a full professor of oncology there for many years. And about 11 years ago, changed careers into the pharmaceutical industry. I've held various posts in different companies, increasing seniority, and uh, recently joined Springworks as the chief medical officer. Um, essentially, I run all of the clinical activities of the company. And it's a small biotech company. We have a couple of assets which are in the late stage development and about 13 others which are in clinical development. We're what's called a targeted oncology company. In other words, we're looking at the genetic causes of cancer and then targeting drugs against those genetic causes. Um, and desmoid tumours and their, our asset, Narragasset, is our primary uh, number one asset. And we're expecting, well, it's in phase three studies, and we're expecting to have results from them uh, reasonably soon. Exactly what are desmoid tumours? What do we as listeners need to know about them? And why are they so often misdiagnosed? So desmoid tumours are rare, which is one thing, about 1,000 to 1,500 patients per year in the United States. They, they happen in younger people, so the peak distance is in the 30 to 40 years uh, age, but it can happen uh, at any age, and, and including in children. Um, they present in various ways, um, sometimes as a lump, sometimes as pain, sometimes as a you know, disfigurement or functional impairment because of pressure from the tumour. They can occur in the limbs and they can occur in the body cavities in the chest or in the abdomen. Um, and because of the because they're rare and because of the age distribution, most physicians will not think of, you know, malignancy or a type of cancer in that age group because cancer is traditionally a, a tumour of a, a disease of older people. And so these things are misdiagnosed or glossed over, particularly if they're in an abdominal or chest cavity where you can't, you can't see a lump. Um, and that's why they're so hard to diagnose. In, in addition, they're, they're kind of slow growing. Um, so again, it, it takes a bit of time for people to present and for people to, and their physicians to realize that there really is a problem. Um, they're often you know, dealt with, first of all, as being some orthopedic injury or you know, you've, you've somehow damaged a muscle or something that's happened like that, which is causing the pain and a bit of swelling. Um, so that, that's part of the, the misdiagnosis. And clearly, the, the rareness of them doesn't help because, you know, in medical school, medics are trained to deal with common things and, and rare things being rare. We, we have less training in those rare things, and therefore they're not front of mind for physicians as a differential diagnosis. And even more so for patients who are completely unaware that these things even exist. 
If they're so very slow growing, is it safe to assume that once they are detectable on imaging or by touch by a physician, that the patient is um, in some serious trouble? And if left untreated, what should they uh, expect? So, so it's very variable. Um, you know, it's very dependent on, on anatomy, really. You know, if this if this lump appears somewhere where there's no vital structures around and it can grow and, and not press on things and not invade into things which are critical, then they, they can grow to quite a substantial size. In other instances, they're actually quite small when they present because they've invaded or pushed against something which is critical to the to their attention because they've got symptoms. Um, they're also highly variable in their progression. You know, there's a there is a, a spontaneous regression rate, um, which is maybe around 20% of these tumours, which will will grow and then will get smaller again spontaneously. Um, and that's part of how we, how we treat them nowadays. And in the past, um, these things were generally surgically excised, and we've realised over the years that that's not such a good idea because uh, they tend to recur. And when they recur, they often recur uh, in a more aggressive form. They're you know quicker growing and a bit more uh, invasive than they were in the first place. And so traditionally, that traditional approach um, is not followed so much anymore. Is there a genetic component to this rare disease? There is, yeah. Um, and by genetic, there's there's a particular syndrome which is called APC, and there's a, a genetic background to that. Um, there's also a mutational background to the tumours themselves. They have uh, what's called Wnt and Notch pathway um, mutations, and that, that's the, the focus that we have. We have a, a drug called a, called a gamma secretase inhibitor, which is called Nerogastrostet, um, and that that blocks the activity of Notch. And so, when you look at the cells that are dependent on the Notch pathway, which is the desmoid cells. And they are they are inhibited by by that drug, um, and that's the drug that we have in clinical trials in the phase three clinical trial right now. And mm-hmm. um, we're expecting results by the end of this year. And clearly, we're very excited about that because there are no approved therapies for this disease. So, so this would be the first of its kind, and, and one would hope that that would um, greatly help patients with this particularly nasty disease. Do you anticipate a smooth FDA approval process? Is that pretty much expected by the end of the year? And if so, after approval, when do you anticipate it being available to patients? Well, there's a number of steps in there. First of all, we have to get the results of the study, and they have to be positive. So that's the first step, and clearly we're all fingers crossed and um, everything else that that will be the case. Um, We then have to make an application to the FDA and they would then either approve or not approve of that. And there's, you know, like every drug approval, there's always little bumps in the way and, and like that. But, you know, we don't expect any particularly particularly um, difficult interactions with the FDA. But one can never tell. It really depends on the, on the data we get from the clinical study. Um, assuming that we get past that and we get approval, then we would expect that the uptake of, of the drug to be quite large. Because although although there's between a thousand and fifteen hundred new cases per year, that people live with this disease for a very long time, it's it's normally not a lethal disease, but very nasty nonetheless because it's locally aggressive, and so there's many patients out there who are waiting for some form of therapy, and so we would expect the uptake of our drug to be to be quite large, but again that that is dependent on the clinical results. 
you know, if, if this looks like something that's really transformational, then obviously more patients will be interested in it. And that's what we're hoping will be the case. Well, give us a website where we can learn more about Springworks. The website is www.springworkstx.com. Well, I appreciate you joining us here on Health Professional Radio this morning and uh, giving us this information. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity to speak again uh, before next September about desmoid tumor awareness. Thank you. And thanks for having me. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard, in conversation with Dr. Jim Cassidy. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen in, download at SoundCloud, and be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com health professional radio.